Yes. For Rosh Hashanah, what's a general, do you take like big yontif meals with a lot of people on Rosh Hashanah? On Rosh Hashanah, do you have big yontif meals with a lot of people? Yeah, in the evening. Two of them. Yeah. It's not a, a, a major time for socializing. That's what I, that's just what I want to so uh, people are usually with family, or if there's people who don't have family that need to be invited. But, what but it's say? not like to invite like five families and to have a big meal. No. Because I mean the focus is more um, is more on Rosh Hashanah. So right. No, both days is the same. In other words, normally on a Shabbos, you might invite, you know, three, four couples to socialize, and that's amazing for Shabbos. That's good. But Rosh Hashanah more, it's like with family, or let's say something that's a chesed. Let's say there's a single person who's lonely. Invite them. But it's more like chesed invitations versus social invitations. It's not because, you know... Socializing is a nice thing, but Rosh Hashanah is not a day for socializing. Like when you're uh, when you're in court, you're not socializing, no. right? So you're in court. So uh, the focus more is on the uh, avodah yeah, Rosh Hashanah even during the meals. Okay, we've got uh, an exciting agenda today. Parshas Chisetze is one of the uh, most jam-packed partios that you could have. And we're going to pick one uh, storyline. And I was just so taken by the uh, Balhatanya's uh, way of understanding this sugya. It was just so beautiful and so uh, encouraging. What we need is a lot of encouragement nowadays. So we're going to split the class with a little bit of scholarship and a little bit of encouragement, and uh, we'll see how things fit in, and some uh, some interesting ways of looking at things that we haven't seen before. Okay, Torah starts, Parsha Kiseitze, uh, this is the second story in the Parsha, and it begins, it got the Hebrew here, the English right over here. If a man has two wives in the days of the Torah, when we could have two wives, one is beloved, and the other one is hated. And they gave birth to sons for him, the beloved one, and the hated one. And the firstborn is from the hated one. Okay? So he's got one wife that he likes more than the other wife. And she gives birth to the firstborn. And there's subsequent children born to both wives. And it comes the time when the sons will inherit from the father when he passes on from this world. Could be that the father would prefer that the son from the beloved wife will get the status of the firstborn with the privileges of the double portion of the firstborn. Because after all, this is the wife that he really likes. Torah says, He cannot 
make the, the younger son of the beloved wife as the Bechor before the son of the hated wife who is the Bechor. Follow? The real Bechor is the son of the wife that he doesn't love so much. So he figures, okay, but when I die, I want the other son to get. Now, just to refresh our memories, the idea of a Bechor, a Bechor is the firstborn son to, 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 to this man. That's nothing to do with the mother, as with the man. His first son, the son who makes him a daddy. Okay? He gets a double portion. What do you mean by double portion? Let's say he has five sons. So what they do is they divide the estate in six parts. And everyone gets one part, and the Bukhor gets two parts. That's the double portion. Not double of everybody else's single portion. Why girls don't inherit is not a topic for tonight. It's a worthy topic, but we're not going to get into it tonight. You have to remember, with the son inherits, he also inherits all the liabilities. And responsibilities. The responsibilities. And if there's a lot of liabilities, he has to knocking on doors and has to beg. The Torah does not want to put the daughters in that situation. So uh, they don't inherit, but the sons have to take care of the sisters. So they're in a much more favorable position. So we're not going to get in there, but he can't. So he might have thought, well, really, I really like son number four because that's the uh, firstborn of my other wife. Nope, sorry, the other one was born first. He gets it. Why? But rather he must recognize the Bechor of the hated one, to give him the double portion, with all that is found by him, because he is the beginning of his strength, or better put, um, understood, his seed, to him, he has the judgment of being the Bechor, the firstborn. I guess that's what happened with uh, Yaakov. He, he loved Yosef best. Oh, so that's, we're going to get to that very soon, Paul. So hang on. So now here is, there's one basic fundamental question. What, you know, what is, what would you say is the main part of this story? If I would say, what's the gist of this story? there seems to be two different storylines colliding with each other. The first one gets the double portion is clear. The second point is, and you can't change it. Now, we have a bunch of stories going on. The story before this was the story of the Afas Toar taking the pretty captive. The story after this about the Ben Sorimorer, the... Uh, juvenile delinquent son got a lot of stories but what is what is the main point of this story that you got to give the Bahor a double portion regardless if you like him or not that seems to be the point now do we have any other laws about inheritance mentioned anywhere in the Torah the uh, five daughters the five daughters of Tzlavchad who didn't have, there were no sons, and they said, are we going to get a portion of what's going on? And the Torah gets into 
a bit of a discussion of inheritance. And that seems to be the main topic of inheritance. And that was in Parsha's Matos, because we're inheriting the land of Eretz Yisrael. That seemed to be a good place to discuss inheritance. And it says a number of things. If there's no sons, this and that. So where did this, where is this story, where does this halacha really belong? In other words, what's the main point we're trying to say? That the Bechor gets a double portion, yeah? Yeah. So just say, what do we need all this drama and this theater? Well, a man's got two wives, one that he loves, one that he doesn't love. Who cares? You got two wives. The law is the firstborn son gets a double portion. Finished. Like, what's the main thing we're getting out of this? It's not just luck, it's emotion as well, I guess. Well, but, but when there's a law of inheritance, just like in Parsha's Matos, when it discusses what do you do if there's no sons? Okay, you let the girls inherit. It doesn't talk about liking somebody, not liking somebody. I mean, where where do you have, like, this is just good old-fashioned Jewish law. There's a lot of laws in the Torah of what you got to do. What I care if I like this one, doesn't like this one. The idea is a Bahor is the firstborn son. Say, very simple. A firstborn son gets a double portion. Done. What do I care if he likes this wife, doesn't like this wife? I mean, we, we get, have to get into the soap opera drama over here. If you, if you would just say a halacha, if a man has two wives, he gives the birthright, the bachor, goes to the oldest son, period. Would I not understand everything that I need to know? If we would just say that, and there's nothing else mentioned, would I think, well, what if he likes the other gun better? What does that matter? What does that matter if you like? The law is, this This is the law. How about how about uh, Truma and Meiser? Does it say, well, if you don't like this guy, you don't give him? Like, there's a law. The law is give a tenth. Give a tenth, finished. Somebody asks, you're supposed to give. So say a straight law, right? And it doesn't really belong over here. It belongs in safer Bamidbor in Parshas Matos. You know, it's so interesting. That's the time you're talking about inheritance. It happened to be a case where there were no sons. Wonderful. But obviously, there's an assumption, even from that story, that the sons would come first. And they don't mention anything about a Bechor over there. That'd be an ideal place to put in a Bechor. So no we're talking about inheritance over there. Talk about the whole story about inheritance. This. This no. This is it. And it's like kind of, you know, like a, 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 in between a bunch of stories over here where we're talking, uh, you know, first stories about a battle, bringing back a, 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 a beautiful woman. Then we have another story about a son who doesn't behave. So now this is just, you don't tell me the law of inheritance, just tell me the law of inheritance. I don't need to know all the things about it. That's, that's a very powerful question that many of the commentaries ask. Also, the clause, Ki hu reishis ono lo mishpat ha 
He is the first of his strength. To him is the law of the Bechorah. Why do you got to say that at all? If I took out this entire red uh, clause, am I missing any understanding? It says on the day of the inheritance, he can't make the one that he loves the Bechor. Because the Bechor, he has to recognize the, the, the Bechor gets double portion. Finished. So what are we adding this clause for? It's also interesting. We keep calling the woman the Sunua, the Sunua, the Sunua, the Sunua, but here's called the Sinia. That's an interesting thing. So those are just some general questions. And now we're going to get to Paul's question. So what does it come up? Clearly, if you like one son over the other, it doesn't matter. You have to go with the firstborn. Well, we know that the patriarchs kept the entire Torah before it was given. So did Yaakov keep this mitzvah? Yaakov had 12 sons. Six from Leah, two from Rachel, and two each from the maidservants. Comes to the end of his life, it's time to bless the children. Let's see what he says in the blessing to Ruvain in source number two. Two tribes came from this. Hold on. So he says, Ruvain Bechori Ato. Ruvain, you are my firstborn. Kochi, my strength, Vereshis Oni. And the first beginning of my Oni, which they translate as vigor, um, many explain as my first seminal drop. Interesting. Look what it says over here. Kihu Reishis Ono. His first seminal drop. So Yosef, Yaakov uh, is recognizing, Ruben, you are the Bechor. Yes, sir, Saez, yes, sir, us. More uh, literally, more lifting and more power. Meaning, you were supposed to have a lot of power as a Bechor. Ruler, Kohen. You were supposed to get a lot of stuff. But Pachas Pekamayim Al Kosar. But unstable as water, you're not going to get anything extra. Kiolisa Mishka because you mixed up my bed after Rachel died. My couch has been mounted by you. So what is Yaakov saying? I recognize you're the firstborn, but I ain't going to treat you like one. Who does he treat like a firstborn? The chapter before that, when he's speaking to Yosef, he says, I've given you one portion more than your brothers, which happens to be the city of Shechem. So, and he had two of his sons became two tribes. So one thing is clear, Yosef, and if we really think about this, who is the child of the wife that he loves? And who is the child of the wife that he does not love? Okay, Yosef is the firstborn of Rachel, the wife that he loves, while Reuben is the firstborn of Leah, the wife that does not love. When you think about the coat. Think about the coat. So it seems that Yaakov is violating this law, right? Now, I, I want to just quickly mention an important point. 
not to be not to make a mistake and think that Yaakov hated Leah. That was the furthest thing from the truth. Uh, when the, the Torah writes this, it never says Yaakov hated Leah. Never. It says he loved Rachel more than Leah. For good reason. As we know, he was, that was the one he wanted. And Leah was switched on him. And he was destined. And it totally says God saw that Leah was the hated one. Didn't say God saw that Yaakov hated Leah. So it's a hated one. So there's there's two answers to that. And one is if you if you love one person a lot more than the other, the difference makes it look like the other one is hated. If you have two wives and you're fawning over the other one and you're polite to the other one, the other one will feel that they're they're hated, even though even though you don't actively hate them. It's the absence of the same fawning that you're giving the other one. Which you can't blame Yaakov because he really loved Rachel. And Leah was kind of uh, foisted upon him. Okay, I'm stuck with her. I'll take her. I'll be, I'll be respectful for her. You can't make me love her. I mean, I don't. I, it's a good, good, nice thing he didn't divorce her. He treated her with respect. I don't, I don't think he insulted her ever. But he didn't have those, you know, warm, mushy feelings to her. So we have to understand, yeah. Or some say that Yaakov really uh, was very nice to her, but uh, only it's only Hashem knew that she was hated. She felt hated, but nobody really was hating her. Even Yaakov couldn't tell it, 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 that she was feeling bad from it. Either way, I just wanted to clarify that we don't want to go around thinking that Yaakov was a terrible man. And it could very well be in this parsha as well, when it says he has two wives, one that is hated, one is loved. I mean, the whole idea of hating a wife, that's not a very positive thing. If you hate a woman, why are you married to her? So you don't have to say necessarily there was hated. Okay, but anyway, so how is Yaakov not keeping a mitzvah of the Torah? And the Medrash Tanchum, it's a long Medrash and a lot of English here. I'll just point out. Um, the main points. I think that's this was on the sheets I sent out. The Medrash says this all. It, it quotes our Pasuk here and it goes clause by clause and explains it. So maybe we'll look at the English. It says, this when it says that Shem saw that Leah was hated, that's a reference to this week's Parsha. When a man has two wives, one beloved and the other hated, Etc. Etc. We all know this. So now, who's the man over here? So now the measures goes, and who's the man? That's Yaakov, because it says he was an Ish Tam. He was a perfect man, and he had two wives, Leah and Rachel. The one beloved, Rachel. It said he loved Rachel more than Leah, and the other one hated, meaning that God saw she was hated, and. When both the beloved and the hated have sons, as, as well they did, they had sons. Not only did they have sons, but Leah produced kings, Rachel produced kings, Leah produced prophets, Rachel produced prophets, Leah produced judges, Rachel produced judges. And that's what it says. And when both the beloved had, had born sons to him, and on the day that he wills his property, his son's inheritance, and when did that come? Time happen with Yaakov when he le leaves the world. That's when the inheritance comes in. 
he calls his son. He may not treat the son of the beloved, Yosef, as the firstborn. Instead, he should recognize the firstborn of the hated woman by giving him a double portion, which was Reuven. But what did Yaakov say? Reuven, you're my firstborn, my might and my first fruit of my strength, excelling blah, 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 but unstable as water, you shall no longer excel, etc., etc. So what does that mean? It means I'm not giving you the double portion. But then he hints at the end, he says, when he went up to my couch, we see that Moshe Rabbeinu, years later, when he blessed the 12 tribes, Moshe kind of restores things. He said, let Ruvain live and let Ned not let him die. Which means, as the Torah then says, instead, so, so in other words, he gets a little compensation and he should be recognized as the firstborn. Let Ruvain live and not die. So it seems, I don't want to go into all the deals with Moshe, but it seems that Yaakov violated this. So how could it be that Yaakov was violating this? So those are the questions. I mean, he sometimes bring in about before Matan's war, like he did marry two sisters as well. Yeah, that's true. But then eventually, that's why when he came to Eretz Yisrael, Rachel died. Because in Eretz Yisrael, he couldn't have two sisters. So we'd have to understand, you know, what's behind this. Okay. Now, another interesting thing, just by the way, it's interesting. The firstborn is called Bechor. Why of all the words is he called a Bechor? Well, it's very interesting. Bechor is spelled Beis Chaf Resh. There's a vav also, but it's not necessary. Beis, chaf, resh. What do beis, chaf, and resh have in common as letters? What's the numerical value of those three letters? Beis' value is? Two. two. Chaf is? I guess it's 20. Resh is? 200. Not that I know any of these. So <laughs> the, these are the only letters that are the double in, in their ones, tens, and hundreds column. Okay, and that hints to the fact that he gets a double portion. Okay, and if you think about it, there's another interesting, look. what's the letter that comes before these letters? What's before Chaf? What? No, I'm sorry, base, base. Aleph. And, and how much is Aleph worth? One. What comes before Chaf? What letter comes before Chaf? What? Yud. Yud. It's 10. What letter comes before Resh? Kuf. It's 100. So, so what's going on over here? It's double the letter that precedes it. And from here, there's a very interesting halacha. When they come to inherit from the father, let's say the father left, again, five brothers, $6 million. So every brother gets the ones column, right? One portion. But the Bechor, he's in the 10, twice, right? He gets 2 million. What if the father bought a lottery ticket before he died? And then he dies, and then he wins the lottery 
and wins $6 million more. How do we divide it? The halacha is anything that comes in through the father after his death is divided equally. And where's the hint to that? The hint to that is because base chafresh is only double of what came before. It's double aleph yud kuf. Whatever was before the letter, he gets double. But whatever comes after, he doesn't get double of that. So that's an interesting uh, concept over here. So the Bahur gets double, and why he gets double, that's another uh, interesting concept. We could say, on a very simple level, the Bahur is what makes the father and mother, uh, the father, a the, 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 the man, a father. And there's a big difference between being a person and a father. Right? So there's a very special quality to the Bechor. He brings something, a reality, to the man he never had before. Girls are not in the... Right, but I'm saying the next boy... A, 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 a Bechor for money, yes. He is the eldest son. Oh, it's still the eldest We're not talking about fasting on the Erev Pesach. Girls are not in the, in the, in the inheritance game. They're just not on the, the table. They have to be taken care of. They have to be taken care of. But they don't they don't inherit per se. Okay? So now we're just talking about boys who inherit, and so it's the first boy that's born. Okay. So now we gotta understand a number of things that are going on over here. So there's a, a number of ways I can start this. So let me give a very simple answer to our original question. On the shop level, let's go back. Why are we talking about this negative state of inheritance? So Rashi tells us the first three stories of this Parsha, bringing back the captive woman, one, having two sons from two different wives, one's beloved or not, and the third one having the juvenile delinquent son. We learn from these stories, as they say, Avera Goreras Avera. One sin leads to another. One bad decision puts you into another bad situation. So when you go from battle and you bring a Yafastar, you're a married man, and there's a painted lady that you bring back home with you, and the only reason that we allow that to happen, as the rabbis say, is because it's very hard to control your Yetzirah under those circumstances. But it's an allowance for, I don't want to get into the reasons why. It's a whole other class and I don't want to get into now. But it's not the best thing. It's like the Torah is, is recognizing the limitations of a man who's in war. And the Torah has to concede that a man in war is not as spiritually strong as a person during peace times. So if he wants to marry this woman, she brings him home, and there's a whole story how to do this. Torah says, we allow it, but it's not a good idea. So now what's the next story? The next story is, if a guy has two wives, one that he loves, one that he doesn't love. Now, who's the one that he doesn't love? Remember, the guy went to war. He had a wife. He comes back, brings his wife a surprise. I'm bringing back another wife. And now the two wives are living with him. 
So what's the Torah saying? Who's going to be the one he's not going to like at the, the end? The one he brought back. And the one he brought back, he's, he's not going to like her. Could be many reasons for that, but ultimately she's going to remind him about his time when he was compromised. Indiscretion. Right? So now you see what's going to happen. You're going to have some family problems. And we, I don't have to tell people about all the machlekes that happens with inheritances. That's why if you're a smart person, you don't leave any inheritance to your kids. Just leave it to the school, huh? No, well, that would be nice, but uh, no, what you do is, there's a way you can get around the whole thing. You know how you can. There, there's, when you, a person dies, then the assets become an inheritance and the Torah takes over. But if you want, let's say your net worth is, I don't know, $5 million. And you happen to have five kids. So there's a way you can get around this whole thing. During your lifetime, you can give children, any child, any gift you want. So the way you can get around all this is as you're getting older and you don't need a lot of money, give all your money away to your kids. Give it away equally. It's not inheritance. It's a gift. And decide which child will have you live in their house. And uh, then when you die, there's nothing to fight over. That's what you do. There's nothing to fight over. Um, you know, there's a great rap, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, Zechron Levrocha. He's a great rabbi, was. His children were great rabbis. What did he do? He said all of his personal belongings should be sold at auction and the money divided amongst the kids. He says, you have no idea what kind of fighting happens with children when it comes to inheritance. So the Torah kind of said, well, listen, the Bechor gets double this and that. Okay, but you know, you, you may want to, uh, you can always give gifts in your lifetime to whoever you want to give gifts to. But anyway, but what, what, what do we see? So the connection, so why we're telling this whole storyline, he has a wife he doesn't like, a wife that he does like, the Torah is saying, if you're going to bring the wife that you shouldn't have brought, you're going to see it's going to cause discord. To such an extent, it's going to um, create tension in terms of inheritance. So if that's the real intent over there, the real point is not the double portion. What's the real point of the story is going to be a lot of contention during your life and after your life, if you bring this woman in. And now we understand why we have the, uh, the the soap opera thing. We just don't say a firstborn gets double. No, there's something you want to add. What's going to happen when you bring the wife that you shouldn't bring home, there's going to be other problems. That's going to be with the children that are born, and you're going to have major problems. Okay? And now that will lead to story number three. So now, the kids are growing up. The son of the Yafastar, who's the oldest, he says, I'm the Bechor. The younger brother says, you might be the Bechor, but daddy doesn't love you as much as he loves me, and I should get more. He says, no, 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 we called up the rabbi, and the rabbi said, I'm going to get double. Well, what, what do you think the kid thinks about his dad who didn't want to give him the double? Probably doesn't love me so much, eh? And what's the next story? Whatever child who becomes a juvenile delinquent. So you see out of three stories, show, show you the slippery slope. If you're going to follow your passions in the battlefield and you don't control yourself, what's going to happen? It's going to, it's going to spill over into inheritance issues and could very well affect the, the growing up of the child 
who is the child of this woman you brought in. So that would be on a shop level very nice. But still, there's other issues that we need to talk about. So what I want to do is I'm going to jump into the main part of what I want to talk about, and then we'll deal with Yaakov. I want to make sure I don't run out of time to say the main point. And this main point, are we good so far? Everybody's fine? Yeah, we're good? So now there's a piece from the Balatanya. It is like such a delicious piece. The first Lubavitcher Rebbe. Is such a delicious piece. I'm going to just do a, a few lines here and there. But remember, there's many levels of pshat. We've already seen, we've already seen, I gave you the simple meaning of the pshat. The very simple meaning is, you know, as the text says what it is, but we had questions on that. So now we gave you a little bit more the drush that says, well, if you're going to bring back a woman uh, from the war, what's going to be, you're going to have problems with inheritance. That's more on the drush level. Uh, or the, And then we talked about, well, you know, this applies to Yaakov and Yaakov's life. But now we're going to go t- jump to the deepest level. And this is an incredible idea that the Balatanya tells us. And let's start as following. We know that the relationship between a husband and wife in this world is the marshal, is the allegory for the cosmic relationship between God and the Jewish people. God is the husband, the Jewish people are the wife. The whole book of Shira Shirim, the whole book of Song of Songs by King Solomon is based on the notion that our, our human relationships are capable of reflecting the divine marriage between Hashem and the Jewish people. Okay. And what we're going to find out, and that means really on on a certain level, even though the Jewish people are married to Hashem, but in a certain sense, each and every one of us is married to a Kodesh Baruch Not in the Christian sense that the nuns are married to Jesus, but we have a very strong relationship with Hashem. We all have a strong relationship with Hashem. And there are two types of human beings who enter into a Jews, who enter into a marriage of God. One will call the beloved spouse, and one will call the despised spouse. The beloved spouse represents those unique individuals who live with a continuous romance with HaKadosh Baruch Their souls are big souls. They came from big places. They have spiritual ecstasy. They have selfless idealism. They're on fire for their Yiddishkeit. They can't stop loving God and God can't stop loving them. Now, do you know any people like that? Not too many. Not too many. On the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are what we call the despised spouses. That that means human beings who have certain qualities that ought to be hated. And we're born with, we'll say, immoral urges, vulgar passions, ugly tantrums. You have souls that are on fire with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and you have others that every day is a struggle to be able, it's always Shalom bias issues with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. 
because Hashem didn't give you that kind of soul to relate to this idea as much as you would want to relate to that. Do you understand what I'm talking about? There, there are big souls, big souls, and we call them beloved souls, and then there are other souls that are not as beloved. So now, you know, we everyone has to ask themselves and analyze themselves, what kind of soul do you think you have? Now, you could ask yourself a few simple questions and you can come to the answer very quickly. It might not be the answer you want to have. If you're a man, for example, how much do you look forward with pining and passion for the next time to talk to God at Davenik? How do you look at the highlight of the day where I'd rather do nothing else? I've been waiting all afternoon to Daven Mincha to get away from work, to talk to Hashem, to sing my praises, to, 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 to get a hug from Hashem that I've been waiting for since the morning. And they pray with passion. They're on fire. And they're always thinking of ways. How can I do a new chesed that I haven't thought of today? And then when they get in front of a safer, they're totally focused on their learning. And now they feel so privileged to be learning God's Torah. Or if they're a woman, I could give extreme examples. I'm not trying to offend anybody here. Chas v'shalom. You know, you know, but a woman who, who's thrilled with the halachas of Tznius. She's so happy that she can be at Tznua. She's so happy to cover her body up in a way that's Tznua and doesn't show her attractive figure to other people. Loves having her hair covered as it gets destroyed. Okay, because I love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Okay. Women who are thrilled to have as many children as they can have because that's their whole life is to produce more. I'm, I'm just giving you like... And then there's others who are not. And the same thing with men. Right? You hear stories of Rebetzin Kanievsky. Would you say she was an amazing woman? Now, ladies, honestly, how many of you can relate to being like that? Or for the men, let's take Rav Kamenetz, Kanievsky. Amazing rabbi, right? Do we do we aspire to even be like him? It's not even on our radar. Like, forget it. It's not going to happen. Rabbi Rebetz and Kanievsky, we would call them the beloved spouse of HaKadosh Baruch Us, kind of not so beloved. Hashem, 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 why did you, why did you, why did you give me all these yates and horse? Isn't it a continuum where we don't have to be on the other end of the scale? Yeah, but the, it's a big gap from beloved to not beloved. You know, you're right, but you know, but there, there's a big like if you're if you if you really are beloved, you're there. If you're not, it's not like you're a few a percentage points off. It's like your whole day is different. Now the question is, once you're like 50% behind, now you're going 60% behind, 70% behind, right? So, you know, let's be honest. Is, is your heart on fire about Hashem every minute of the day? You know? How about your mitos? You're so connected to Hashem, you must be a very humble person. And you're not open to any of the 
midos that have faults, right? When when there's a tzedakah opportunity, let's just I'm just again I'm it's not all not but you know somebody like Rav Cook, Zichrona Levracha, Rav Cook was a chief rabbi got a paycheck. It was not a good idea to give him the paycheck because he'd come home the day he got the paycheck. The wife would say, "Where's the paycheck?" Says, "I Adani came to the to the to the shul. I gave him all my money." Because he loved other, he loved Hashem, he loved Hashem's children. And someone comes with a sob story. What do you mean? I have to give him the money. So they got to the point that they didn't give him the check. They gave it right to the Rebbitson. Okay, I don't think any of us are on that level. And not, not that we're bad people for it. But, you know, we get our paycheck. We say, okay, how much do I have to give? Okay, I have to give 10%. There are some people who love to give their 10%. Others say, okay, I have to, I have to. It's like, you know, I don't want God to get upset with me. But boy, I sure could have used that for other things. <laughs> okay, so, so you know, there are those of us who have struggled with our meatos. And, and, and we still, we're doing the mitzvahs. We're not, not doing the mitzvahs. But we really are struggling. And, you know, we're, we're dealing with... Uh, issues and, and you don't really feel you're so beloved by God. Now again, this is not that God doesn't like you, but your perception. God, if you really love me, why don't I love doing all these mitzvahs? Why did you give me such a crummy neshama? Why did you give me a neshama that's attracted to the internet? To things that I shouldn't want to see in the internet. And I have to struggle with it and I have to fight it. Why did you give me the shama that when I get up in the morning at 5.30, I don't jump out like a lion? You know, I'm crawling out like a lizard. <laughs> and I'm half asleep when I'm davening. Yet I'm doing what you say, but I don't feel beloved. Do, do, do you follow what's going on over here? And more than that, what will the person feel afterwards? He'll feel guilty and say, what's wrong with me that I don't love Hashem this way? What's wrong with me that I still have not been able to control my anger? What's wrong with me that I'm still jealous of other people, what they have? And you can get downright depressed. Now, this is, so to speak, like the not loved wife. The not loved wife is saying, what am I doing wrong that my husband doesn't love me so much? So you imagine, imagine that this girl, this girl was a painted lady from, uh, from one of the Canaanite nations. Now, is she inherently a bad person? No, she was raised as an idol worshiper. And what was she raised? To try to seduce the Jewish men. And what happens? She gets captured and taken to his house. Okay. Now, you know, you know what happens when, so at least she's lucky she's captured by Jewish men and not a Roman. Jewish men are nice, you know, they, they're not going to be rough with them. Okay, I'll convert. But he doesn't like me. And what did I, I didn't ask for this. And I'm trying to, uh, you know, make the chala, because <laughs> you can't pronounce cha. And I'm trying to do this, and I'm doing everything wrong, and, and I trafed up seven pots in the first month I was there, and the other wife is beating me up for this. 
And whatever I do, it doesn't seem to be good. Now, does the husband hate her? Doesn't hate her, but she feels hated. You, you follow? You follow? So, there, you know, so Hashem has many wives. He's got Rabbi and Rebetzin Kanievsky as one of his wives. Oh, man, they must, they have a great relationship. Great relationship. They feel Hashem's love. They give love to Hashem. And then you got me. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that excited about Dominic Mendelha. I'm, I'm not that excited about giving money I need for Tzedakah, but I do it. And, uh, you know, I, do I love every Jew like I love myself? Well, some Jews are very hard to love. And why does God keep sending those people to me? And I'm trying to control myself, but I know I'm not, I'm not doing what I should be doing. But then you just fall into a state of depression because I'm just not enjoying my Yiddishkeit. Now, many of us at some time or another fall into this place. It, it can be the from from birth person where they're, you know, the, whatever. It, there's all kinds of situations here. And there's all kinds of scenarios where we go in, into rough spots. It could be a boy in yeshiva and he's in yeshiva a little too long and he's not growing in yeshiva. And he says, what am I trying? I'm trying to learn it's not going. Or you have, uh, you know, a, a young girl and she's having trouble finding a shidduch. Or whatever, whatever, whatever the situations are, or just life isn't uh, isn't so exciting anymore, and you're falling into these um, routines that are not exciting, and you really feel I don't really feel so much passion about my Yiddishkeit. So you feel like the the wife who is hated. You know, the thought has crossed my mind as I've been growing up during my lifetime and you know I'm a rabbi but there's other rabbis who were sons of rabbis grandsons of rabbis who had their fathers to guide them how to be rabbis and uh, they seem to be shakers and movers in the Jewish community because they were born with Connected. better connections and they really have gifted souls then I got a regular rabbi like me. His parents are Holocaust survivors, and I, you know, di didn't get a lot of uh, gifts, and not as talented as other rabbis. And I, and you sometimes can feel God like, why, why do you, you know, how come you don't like me? And when you start thinking that way, you start feeling guilty. I, I'm not supposed to feel that way. I should, I should be excited and in love and in this. And you hear about all this excitement, all this passion, and how this is everything, I, and I don't feel it. So now the question is, how should you feel about your feelings? That you are the wife, the hated wife. Is, is, is this idea resonating? You're getting this idea? Maybe not you, but maybe you have a friend who's like this. Right? Why am I not feeling this? They're telling me all this thing, you know, Tvekas, you feel clean, Gashem, ecstasy. You're jumping up and down. You're so happy being a Jew. There's a smile on your face every minute. And all you know is, hi, Shabbos is coming again. We don't have enough money to buy Shabbos. I'm going to have to cook another two chickens and this and that, and I have to work and these things. 
that my husband comes home and he's so tired, the Shabbos table is so... And that might be why, and I'm not saying, it might be why you want to have guests so it makes it a little interesting because, you know, what I'm just saying, I'm just throwing out. And then, like, and, and, and so some people just don't want to think about it, but if you think about it, you could be darn right depressed. You, you with me here? So this is what the, the Rebbe says. Maybe we'll pick the, uh, the easier, I have two forms of this. He says, the concept is, a person should not fall into depression. If he's not delighted with his Torah and service to God. If you, an El is a time we're supposed to at least in one month be brutally honest with our Avodah Hashem. And you start looking, you start looking at the way you learn Torah, the way you daven, the way you give tzedakah, you're ben adam lachavero, and you're really looking at it. Now, some people are really tzaddikim. But others are saying, you know what? I don't really enjoy this. When I first was about Shuv, I liked it, but this has already been the 25th Pesach. And cleaning for Pesach, was I really that happy on Erev Pesach? Was I jumping for joy? Was I so thrilled to do the third carpool of the day? with rush hour traffic, and two of the other carpool people never told me that their kid wasn't going to be in school, and I kept waiting for them. And why am I upset at those people for being so insensitive to me? I know Reb Chaim Kanievsky wouldn't do that way. So he says, don't do that. The people of the lofty souls are very few. Very few. And he says there are two types of people, as I have described. There are those who are so collect, connected. For example, Hillel. When Hillel was running home, and they said, what are you running? He said, I have to do a kindness. He says, what kindness do you have to do? I have to have lunch. What's the kindness? I have to do a kindness to my body. Such a tzaddik that views his body not as himself, but just the housing of the soul. And he totally connects to his soul. And it's just a, a utility, but it's not cravings in this. And, and look at those people, they're, they're excited. Or you had Reb Shimon Bar Yochai when him and his son came out of the cave and they saw everybody working and the son was so upset. And what Reb Shimon Bar Yochai say? It's enough, me and you. For this generation. He says, no, no. He says, he says like this. There's very few of these types of souls. And the Mashiach is not going to come because of them. You know why? Because it's too easy for them. Let's look when the base of Israel was destroyed. Weren't there a lot of tzaddikim when the base of Israel was destroyed? But instead, but what really, but what, when you look at the Jewish people, what is the real Jewish people? Most Jews have not caused their body to surrender to their souls. Most Jews live with tithes, with lusts. And we have to realize that the Geula is going to come only from these people. 
We know that the Chazal say Hashem wanted to create a domicile betachtonim in the lower realms. What does that mean? Not just to say he wanted a domicile on planet Earth, but he wanted a domicile amongst the lowest of the lowest of the Jews. That the Jew who is so engrossed in physicality and so involved in it still makes room for Hashem in his life. Now, a very important idea is coming out over here. And that is Hashem does not want holy people being holy. That's no trick. He wants unholy people being holy. That's what Hashem really wants. That's what gives Hashem the nachas. The one that God did not give him the tools. Put him in a position where it is hard and he's still trying and he's still struggling. And that's where he gets his real nachas. And especially, he says, okay, Evie says, and the person doesn't see and doesn't feel any pressure from his learning and his davening. But you got to realize things that gives God pleasure that you're still hanging in there. And you're trying and you're struggling. And you have to realize, you know, there's a very interesting uh, concept. The... Uh, one second. The Chazal uh, say, Haba Litame, those who want to make themselves impure, Poschinlo, they open the door for him. The simple meaning is, you want to do an Avera? Shall we give you a chance to do an Avera? Like with Bilam. But the Morinayim has a Hasidish land. Haba Litame, if you come to make yourself Tame, you should know that's the opening for your greatness. Because the struggle with evil and to overcome that evil and deal with it, and even if you lose once and you come back and you try again, this is what makes Hashem extremely happy. You know, there was a... Uh, I don't remember where I had this. I don't know where I put it. There was uh, a chassid went to uh, one... Oh, yes, yes to the Tzemach Tzedek, one of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's. And he comes to the Rebbe and he says, oi, what's going to be with me? I have no, I have no cheshek to learn, which means I have no yearning to learn. I do, but I, I so what's going to be with me? What's, I, I'm not excited to learn. You know what the Tzemach Tzedek says? Oi, what's going to be with me? I have a cheshek to learn. What's he saying? What's my avoda? I love learning. What kind of a vote is that? It goes so easy. What are you going to do? That, you're, you're doing exactly what Hashem wants. You see, here's the point. People knock themselves because they're having all the struggles. You know, they tell this story with the Rishna Rebbe who, uh, you know, he was trying to convince a Balabas to learn more. And the guy says, listen, Rebbe, I'm, I'm so busy. I'm a businessman. I'm trying to get my business off the ground, this and that. You know, Mr. Hashem, one day I'm going to retire. And when I retire, I have lots of time to learn. Now it's very hard. So Rebbe says, let's learn a mission in Pirkei Avos. Mishnah Pirkei Avos says, Al-Tomer Kesha Efne Eshne. Don't say, when I have time, I will learn. How's the mission end? Shema, perhaps, Lop Tipone. You may not have any time. That's a normal excuse. Well, right now, later, when I, 
yeah, maybe there's never going to be a later. Says the Rishner, no, 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 no. This I have to learn to shot. Don't say when I have time, I'll learn. Shema, maybe the will of God is that you should learn. Shema lo tiponet. Hashem wants you to learn when you don't have time. Because when you have time, there's no kunz. Hashem wants to learn when you don't have time. Hashem wants your avoda when you're un, in un, uh, unideal track conditions. And this is the biggest chiddush that the Rebbe is telling us. Often in our life, we look at our problems. So many different problems in life. My meatos, this, that. And we knock our brains out trying to find a solution. You know what? Maybe the problem itself is the solution. And that is our mission. Meaning to say, I'll just pick one or two random examples. Okay, we'll pick one for men, one for women. Okay. Okay, let's ask the women. What would you say is one of the biggest challenges a woman has in her Yiddishkeit? You can tell me. Not for you, but women in general. What is the biggest challenge in their vote decision? What? Covering their hair. Let's say covering their hair. Okay, let's say. So, what's the challenge? Ugh, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Why can't I just want to, to have it covered, right? The answer is, maybe the problem itself is the solution. To do it when it's hard. Well, why can't it get to the point where it doesn't bother me anymore? Maybe the whole point is Hashem wants that voted to be your entire life. So you can take, let's take an example by men, which is always better examples than women. Man has trouble guarding his eyes. That's a common issue with men, guarding their eyes. Guarding what they see on the internet. It's a big problem. It's a big problem. So there's all kinds of solutions, you know, filters and this and that and all these things. And with all that, there are some people... You know, some you know, it's it's like an addiction, like any addiction. Some people let me just get control the addiction already. Let it be part of my past. Sometimes the problem itself is the solution. Guess what? This you have to deal with your whole life, and it's, you're not going to come out perfect. It could be once every year, year and a half, you you fall, and then you look and say, oh, "What a schmo! The whole the whole year and a half was a waste." No, the whole year and a half was that a waste. A year and a half, you didn't look at something you shouldn't have looked at. Okay, now you made a mistake. Yeah, but if I wouldn't have looked, yeah, but maybe you're not the malach that I want to have here. I don't need malachim. I need a man who really has a libido, who has desires, because I put that desire in you. And I didn't give you the biggest soul in the world. And you know why I didn't give you the biggest soul in the world? Because I want your soul to bring Mashiach. And the 99 times that you did succeed is not going to wipe out the one time that you failed. And if I would have made you a big tzaddik like Rechaim Kanievsky, he goes zero for zero in that. He's never tempted and never is rewarded. Well, you had a hundred temptations and you failed once. What about the 99? But I'm always going to, yeah, that's it. And that's the solution. That is the solution to realize that maybe you're not meant to fix it. Person has a temper. 
So maybe the best you're going to do in your whole life, instead of uh, yelling and screaming a hundred times a day, maybe that your ticket is to bring it down to five. So Rabbi, this might and that will bring the Mashiach. Okay, yes? This might get answered on Shabbos afternoon, but it's a question we kept asking about having to say, I'll never do this again. Okay, well, yeah, let, let's leave that. That's a good question. But I'm saying it feeds into this, because here we're saying, you, well, we may do it again. We may do it again. Okay, tshuva is another issue over here, but there is subcategories of tshuva here. So now let's finish what the Alta Rebbe has to say. Now let's go to the Pasuk. And now we're going to answer the question, why do we need to know that there was hostility between the husbands and the wives? Because on the deeper level, let's go through the Pasuk now. If a man has two women... Now, who is the man? Hashem is called an Ish Milchama, a man of war. Hashem is called many in terms of an Ish. The ultimate Ish is Hashem. And he has two wives. One is beloved, meaning that's the one with the soul that's on fire. The Achasnua, and one is the hated one. And they have children. What does it mean to have children? What does it say? Ela told us Noah. These are the descendants of Noah. What's the very next clause? The very next clause is not Shem, Chom, and Yafes. What's the next clause? Ish, Tzadik, Koyu, He was a Tzadik in his generation. I understand. These are the children of Noah. Say Shem, Chom, and No, no. These are the children of Yafes. He was a righteous man in his generation and his three sons were Shem, Chom, and Why are they doing that? The answer is who are your real children? Is your mitzvah and meisim totem? That's the real children that a person has. Because every time you do a mitzvah, you're creating a malach. What what is a child? A child is a product of your efforts. And one thing about a mitzvah, it lasts forever. Okay, so now, so what are we saying? So one is beloved, one is hated. Okay, and now, but they both have children. They're both doing mitzvahs. And now the question is, who is the Bechor? What is the Bechor? What does the Bechor get? What is it about the Bechor? What really makes the Bechor special? He's the one that's going to continue the family name. He is going to redeem the family from all troubles. That's the one you count on. To get your family through the next generation. No, that's what the Bechor is all about. So when it comes to the time where Hashem has to bequeath the great inheritance. And what is the ultimate great inheritance that Hashem is going to give us all on that great day. When so to speak, where, God, where, where the reality of this world dies. Because we move on to the next world of Mashiach and Olam Haba. That's a transitional time. Who should you not make the Bechor? Who should you not consider as the biggest spiritual one? The son of the beloved. Because of course he's going to do mitzvahs. But the Geula depends on who? The Geula depends on the non-beloved spouse. And the Geula depends on you that you feel you're not loved and to realize, as we said, the problem is the solution. 
and the struggles that you get every day. And the Yetzirah's game is they see you're worthless. You've tried so long, you should feel guilty. You're not like Reb Chaim. You're not like this. You're not like that. You're still struggling. It's Elo. My, look what kind of bum you are. It's the same issues you've been talking about the last 15 years. But you know what? You cannot make the tzaddik be the bachor. If you are in a position where you, because, and the reason why we don't know that we're beloved, we don't appreciate everything that we're accomplishing. We don't understand that every mitzvah we do that's what struggle is infinitely greater than the mitzvahs that a tzaddik does. And that's what the Torah is telling us over here. It's saying, don't make that mistake and don't fall into that depression. Now, so with Yaakov, it's sort of the same idea. And I only have, I wanted to get this idea because this is the main idea and I think it's a very important idea. With four minutes, I really can't get much done here. But but Yaakov, what, who was the real beloved which one was the beloved wife? Rachel. And Kabbalistically, we say that Rachel represents the revealed world and Leah represents the concealed world. Which means Rachel, by nature, was a do-gooder. That was her nature. Just like Yaakov, by nature, was a do-gooder. A lofty soul. Rachel was a very complicated soul. Leah. Leah was a very complicated soul. She had a lot of interest in the physical world. A lot of interest in the physical world. And a lot of challenges. And she had to deal with a lot of challenges. Pretty much like Asaph had challenges and had to deal with the challenges. The difference is Asaph looked at the challenges and his personality deficiencies as a license to be a bomb. Rocha looked at her spiritual deficiency. Leah, thank you. Looked at her spiritual deficiencies to see, see how much I can achieve. And her greatest worry was maybe I'll fail and be like Asaph. And and she would feel that she was the hated one because why didn't you make me more pushed like Rachel? Remember, Rachel, what does Rachel mean? Rachel means a sheep. Sheep is, is, is listens, follows. A Rachel is sheep. The shepherd moves and follows. What's Leah? What does Leah mean? What does the word Leah mean? Where does the word Leah come from? And Leah, if you have a little bit of knowledge of the Chumash, the verb Lamed Aleph, it says the Jews, when they were in Egypt, it's, it says the Jews were nilumitzrayim. They were exhausted from being in Egypt. Since Leah meant she was exhausted. She was exhausted with her inner turmoil. About her eyes as well. And her eyes were weak. But all that because she really felt a lot of connection to this world, which comes with a lot of passion, but comes with a lot of challenges, and had to do a lot of inner struggling to make herself the woman that she was. So she exhausted herself. And on top of that, she's really afraid I could step out and be Esau's wife. Well, Rachel didn't have all that excitement. And she just, you know, was naturally a, a, a holy soul. 
So obviously Yaakov gravitated to this woman. And she was the beloved wife because it was the nature. But Leah was the not beloved wife. It wasn't the nature of Yaakov. And she wasn't beloved. She felt even from Hashem not beloved. Why are you giving me all these struggles? So although Yaakov felt, and for reasons I don't have time to get into now, that really Yosef should be the one to be the Bechor. Ultimately, the Bechor comes from Leah, not Ruvay, Yehuda. Because it's the struggles of Leah. On the one hand, you know, so what Yaakov was feeling, but Yosef, he's so good, he's so perfect, he's so great. He's a lofty soul. Let me make him the firstborn. And on many levels, this is true. Now, if I had more time, I'd get Kabbalistic and show what Yaakov's uh, deeper reason. But just on the surface, what the Torah is telling us, and he had good reason to make, because look how easy her avoda was. But what do we see? Leah was much harder. She was the hated one. She may have even felt that God hated her for making it so difficult for her to be what she was to be. And she could be that close to coming to Esau. And after all she does with all her avoda, does Yaakov ever love her? She never feels love, and she still keeps having kids. And more kids, and more kids, without feeling a love. And at the end of the day, she gets spared in Marisol Machpelah. She's the one that kings come from, Kohanim come from. While Yosef, maybe was good, but ultimately does not bring the Mashiach. Maybe the Mashiach and Yosef, but not the Mashiach and Dov. Okay, we'll leave it at that. There was so much more to say, but we got a good chunk in. Okay. Shkreich, everybody. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi.